Let's pray together. <clears throat> God, we come before you and we open up your word. And we pray, just as we've sung, that our hearts would be open and that your truth would be spoken. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Love God and love others. That's our mission as a church, what we're trying to accomplish as individuals and as a, a body of believers, that the, the community around us and really the world when they hear of us would, would think this is a group of people that is deeply in love with God and wants to show that same kind of love for other people. And for the past few weeks in this series that we've been calling Grow, we, we've talked more about our relationship with God. We've talked specifically about loving God. And, and we've talked about some practices that can lead us to deepen our relationship with God. We've talked about spiritual transformation, allowing God to change who we are by, by getting involved in these practices like studying Scripture or praying or learning the deep truths of Scripture by extended study or even fasting. Now those are all about the, the inner life. They're all about what's going on inside us. And I think that's a really good thing in our culture because in our culture, we live outside. We're bombarded by images that are all around us. We can hardly ever get away from input from other sources coming into our lives. So it's good for us to take a step back from that and think about what is God doing in my life right now? Or maybe even, am I allowing God to do anything in my life right now? So we need to look inside and see this inner life. And praying and reading scripture and fasting can help us do that. But today I want us to turn a corner, and really we're ending this series today. I want us to think about how all of that, all of these inner practices that lead us to spiritual transformation, work themselves out in the way that we live. We talked about in the, the message on fasting that God created us with both spirit and body and that they are one and that he engages us really as a whole person. And today I want us to think about how we engage the world as a whole person. We live with people and we interact as, as physical human beings, shaking hands and listening to one another and giving a hug. We are physical people. Now, how does all this inner experience translate into how we talk to people and work with people? And then some of what we also need to think about that is how does that transfer back into God making us the people that he wants us to be. To get at that, I'd like to look at two passages, one from the Gospels and one from the letters of the New Testament. The first is in John chapter 13. And when we come to John 13, that really is a turning point in the Gospel of John. The, the first few chapters are all about Jesus' ministry. And what he did in Galilee and some trips to Judea. It's about these three years that lead up to Jesus' crucifixion. But from chapter 12 on, it's all about Jesus heading to the cross and the last hours of his life. So here we are in John 13. At that turning point, Jesus has called his disciples together for a meal. And what John does is lay out the details of that experience. Because Jesus teaches there some things that we don't, we don't see are recorded by any of the other Gospels. So John lays out some new information for us. And it all begins with what we find right at the beginning of John 13. Now, John tells us a little bit about Judas and how he's already made his decision, but then he tells us this beginning in verse 3. And, and it's a picture into Jesus' mind, really. 
Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, Jesus' power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And what's John saying? He's saying, listen, God's making Jesus king. He is the Messiah, which means anointed one, the next king. And now is the time that God is going to exalt him as king, lift him up, and crown him. But it's going to be in the form of the cross. He's lifted up on a cross. He's crowned with a crown of thorns. And yet this is still the moment that Jesus becomes king. As Zach already said earlier today, the most powerful human being who's ever lived. But it also says here in John, that Jesus came from heaven, came from the presence of God, being part of the Trinity, and came and emptied himself, as Philippians 2 says. We've talked about that a couple times recently. He emptied himself, became one of us, but that he knew where he was going, and that was back to be with God. So Jesus is a man of power and position, a man who is lifted up above all humanity because he is more than human, fully God and also fully man. And so Jesus knows who he is. And that's a theme throughout the book of John. Now it's because of all that that we can read what's in verse 4. And the first word of verse 4 is a key. So, because of who Jesus was, because of his power, because of his position, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. He is preparing to serve. Because Jesus knew that God had put him in this position, because he has this power, influence beyond what anybody else had, Jesus knew that what he needed to do next was to serve. Maybe this is an antidote to pride. Maybe this is an antidote for him seeing that he's important and that everyone should you know, sort of gather around him and bow down which they should do. But Jesus didn't want to be the one to demand that. He wanted people to volunteer that. And so Jesus knew he needed to serve. Now, that's not the way our culture works, is it? If you're the person with the position, if you're the person with the power, then you ought to have the corner office and the best furniture and the best staff, and everybody ought to listen to what you have to say and do what you ask them to do. That's what the world says. And Jesus shows us if you're going to have the position and the influence in the church, it's going to look different than what the world says. And that's really easy for us to get confused. And we've talked about that all the way through the morning. Greg talked about that. Zach talked about that. We struggle with that. And yet Jesus is saying, you've got to be the servant. Verse 5. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. The job of the lowest servant in the house. That's what Jesus took there. And I can imagine, you think with me, you're one of the disciples as Jesus works his way around that room, washing his disciples' feet, looking down at Jesus. And I wonder if any of them thought, this is Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, the God who created the universe. The God who led his people out of slavery in Egypt 
through the Red Sea into the land of promise and gave them a land and defeated their enemies. This is God sitting here in front of me washing my feet. Did anybody think that? Maybe Peter had an inkling. Because when Jesus got to Peter, Peter says, sort of like, are you really going to do this? You're going to wash my feet? And Jesus says, Peter, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. You're not going to understand it now. There'll be a day when you get this, but you're not going to understand it now. And then it seems to get a little heated because Peter is a man of extremes, and he swings to one extreme first in verse 8. He says, no, no, you shall never wash my feet. It, is, it can't be more emphatic than the way that Peter said it right there. No, it's not going to happen. You're the master. You're the rabbi. You're the teacher. You're the son of God. You are not washing my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless you're willing to submit to this, it's not going to happen. You can't be part of what I'm doing. And so then Peter swings to the opposite extreme. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. I want a bath, if that's what it takes, to be involved in what you're doing. I can't stay away from what's going on in your ministry. Peter's ready to give everything. Jesus talks a little bit more about the way this works and then explains it all beginning in verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Jesus knew who he was. And the Gospel of John is concerned about the identity of Jesus, concerned about people knowing exactly who Jesus was. You call me teacher or rabbi and Lord, and that's what you should do. Verse 14, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So Jesus says, I've done this for a reason. It's not just to demean myself. It's not so you'll look down on me. It's so that you'll understand that you've got to be servants too. You need to understand you don't rise above me, and I'm here ready to serve you. So when you go out in the world and you're leaders and you have the position and you have the influence in the church, never think you're so important that you can't serve the people around you. Never think that your position is so high that the people around you don't matter. You've got to be a servant even if you're a person of position, a person of influence. We'll look at one more verse. It's over in James chapter 1. James is really one of the most practical books in all the Bible and certainly in the New Testament. And he lays out what it means to be a Christian. What does a Christian life look like? James is trying to answer that question. At the end of chapter 1, he says, if Christianity is a religion, this is what it should look like. Okay? It's not ceremony. It's not standing up at the right time, sitting down at the right time. All those things. It's not about a bunch of rules and regulations. If it's a religion, this is what it looks like. Verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress 
and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. To see people in need and respond to that need. And don't be polluted by the world. And oftentimes we think immediately of sin, which is probably part of what James is saying. But my guess is he's saying don't get too wrapped up in the values of this world. Because the world's going to tell you it's all about you. But what Jesus taught us is love God and love others. So take these two passages together. What do they teach us? Serving leads us to become the right people. It changes us. These practices should change us. They should lead to transformation. And serving helps do that. But you know, the truth is, it's easier not to do it. It's easier not to serve. Now, when it comes to Bible study, you know, it's pretty easy for us to say, you know, I'm going to take 15 minutes, I'm going to sit down with my Bible in my favorite chair, and I'm going to read it. And even if you're not somebody who reads the Bible regularly, that's not terribly uncomfortable. Sitting in a familiar room in a familiar chair holding a book, pretty easy to do. Doesn't take us very far out of our comfort zone. Even saying I'm going to spend a few minutes praying for the people I love, pretty simple. But when we begin to talk about serving, that's a little more difficult. That's a little more challenging to us. It takes us places maybe we don't want to go. We have to get out of our own homes and our cars and interact with people who are hurting and struggling. And maybe we're not that excited about doing that. And yet, Jesus said, love God, love others. Wash the feet of the people around you. Serving makes us into the people God wants us to be. So, what are some practical things we could do? Lots of stuff going on in the life of our church that you could get involved with that are involved in serving. One is dinner seasoned with love. That's a meal that people from several churches in our community are involved with. They prepare a meal once a month, and they say, whoever wants to come, come. You don't have food, come. You're lonely, come. Just share this meal together. That sounds exactly like something Jesus would do, doesn't it? You're all invited. Just come. You could be involved in that. Once a month, some group from our church, different groups at different times, goes to inner city mission in, in Springfield. We take a meal, we serve it, and we sit down and eat with the people who live there. You don't have to talk about their needs or necessarily what's happened to get them there. What you talk about is stuff we all talk about, kids and life and work, trying to get work. Again, it sounds like something Jesus would do. Three weeks from today, our angel tree will be up in the foyer. And that's our opportunity to help some families who have a, a parent that's incarcerated. How are the kids going to have any Christmas under those circumstances? Well, we as a church step in and help with that. And lots of us have bought things for that angel tree, and that's awesome, and we need tons of people to do that. But beyond that, there's the preparing it all and delivering it, and there's a whole lot of work behind the scenes. Maybe you could jump in and get involved in some of that work that's behind the scenes. It's a great way to serve. But, but the serving doesn't have to be done as a part of a program at Taylorville Christian Church. We all know people who are hurting. Maybe today you know someone who usually is in this room at this time on a Sunday morning, but today they're not here. 
And maybe they're not here because there's something going on. And they're hurting. And it was just too difficult to get up and get out of bed and face everyone this morning. And what they need is someone like you or me to pick up the phone and just say, I missed you. Or send the note that says, I'm thinking about you and I'm praying about you. You know, like Greg got that note in Austria. Somebody here in our church thought of him two weeks before and sent that note and it got there at just the right time. And maybe God's Spirit is prompting you today to do something just like that. To let someone know there's somebody out there that understands they're hurting, understands their need, that somebody cares. Don't ignore that prompting. It's a call to service. It's a call to reach beyond yourself and fill the life of somebody else who is in need. Love God, love others. It takes us opening our hearts to do that. And as we bring this series to a close, I want to issue the challenge that really I've issued all the way through this series. Just take the next step. We're all at different places in this walk, and that's okay. But what is the next step for you? What is the next thing you could do to make a call, send a note, get involved in one of those meals I talked about? Help somebody else that you know that's in need in our community. Send a note to a missionary. Whatever it is, what's the next step for you? Take it. God can use that to bless other people, and God can use that to transform you into the person that he wants you to be. Allow God to work in your service to help you grow and to bless others. Let's pray together. God serving others isn't always easy. In fact, it's easier not to do it. But God, challenge us with your spirit so that we will do what is uncomfortable, so that we can bless other people and you can make us into the people you've called us to be. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we want to give you an opportunity to respond to the invitation that God's offered to everyone. Offered to forgive our sins, offered us eternal life. Maybe you're ready to commit your life to Jesus Christ. If you are, we want to have a conversation with you about that. What are the next steps? We'd like to fill you in. Or maybe as a baptized believer, you want to be a member of this church. If you've made that decision, any decision, we want to talk with you about that as well. Come forward as we stand and sing our invitation. Let's stand together.